When you look in the mirror, what do you see? Usually when people look in the mirror, they see something much more than what they should see. On today's Keeping It Real, a new series gets unleashed entitled Killer Gods and Idols. On today's kickoff and foundational episode, we will expose selfish ways and brands of life that so few ever fess up to. Our culture, particularly here in the West, has had a meism plague that has swept through with blistering force. Well, do we just tolerate it, or worse yet, accept it? Not a chance here on Keeping It Real. The exhortation will be legit and clear on how one is to turn from a destructive, selfish brand of life. One must be willing to agree with Jesus Christ in the need to undergo serious adjustments in how one spends their time, talent, and treasures. So won't you stay tuned to this first episode in this series, this first episode entitled The Idol in the Mirror. Welcome to the Keeping It Real podcast. Only tired of fake stuff? Shouldn't we turn down a stale brand of living? It's time to open our hearts to Christ. It's time to keep it real. Here's your host, Ollie Gee. All right, and welcome to another episode of the Keeping It Real podcast. I'm your host, Ollie G, and today we are kicking off a brand new series. We're kind of breaking off from the regular rhythm of the podcast where we swap monologue and dialogue shows back and forth. We've actually done a number of dialogue shows for, to be exact, in the prior episodes, and I greatly encourage you to listen to those. I've had uh, all of my special uh, guests or conversation partners on with me, Jeff Stuppy, Tim Holloway, Tatiana Dunnett, Joe Kane. Uh, they have been rocking it here with me on the Keeping It Real podcast, but now it takes a little bit of a turn. We're giving them a little bit of a break, and we're going to be doing a series that I've entitled Killer Gods and Idols. And the first one is really probably the most important episode or the most important show of this series, that being today and this episode being entitled The Idol in the Mirror, because this episode will be foundational or all of the ensuing episodes to this series will be connected to this episode. They, again, all of the episodes of the Keeping It Real podcast are all like links in a chain. They all connect with one another and they all build off of one another. So I don't want to um, in any way minimize or disregard uh, prior episodes or future episodes, but just for the sake of this series, these five episodes are a tightly knit together package that have to be listened to uh, together or in succession, starting with this foundational episode, The Idol in the Mirror. Now, why do a series on gods and idols? Well, for us here in the West, there has been a saturation of evil that has taken place. And we could go on all kinds of different tangents and rabbit trails to hit on all different types of sin or sins and forms of evil. But may I suggest that it all gets traced back to a living for self or living a life out for self. And that is why we're going to do this series on killer gods and idols, because there are specifically four gods or idols, and we're going to distinguish between gods and idols here in just a second, but there are four, and that is 
those are going to be highlighted in the four ensuing episodes after this one that are highly prevalent in our culture today. But for today, we are going to start off with the foundational uh, idol, and that is what one sees when they look at themselves in the mirror, because there is the biggest idol. They are most people, especially people who don't know Jesus Christ, don't know really who else to live for or what else to live for other than for themselves. The only difference would be is if they are steeped in another religion, and we will get to that in a future episode. I don't want to get ahead of ourselves here. But for the sake of uh, honing in on what we're going to be talking about today, the idol in the mirror, it can be traced back to a selfish brand of life, how someone lives for oneself, whatever satisfies them, gratifies them, whatever builds themselves up, even if it's at the expense of others, that's usually the path that people are willing to take. Okay, the difference between a god and an idol. Okay, we many of us are familiar with the Ten Commandments, or at least we we know what a number of them are, if not all of them, right? But the first two commandments deal with gods and idols. Commandment number one of the Ten Commandments is, God says, you shall have no other gods before me. And, idol, and uh, commandment number two says that you shall not make for yourself any idols or graven images. Okay, so these two are very closely linked. These two uh, commandments and these two phenomena of worshiping a god or worshiping an idol are very similar. The difference is a god is a worship of another being other than Almighty God, the God of the Bible, or most specifically Jesus Christ. In other words, uh, Allah, Buddha, some other uh, you know God that people claim to be deity, that is the worshiping of another God. An idol is a created thing that God has made. The Old Testament usually refers to an idol as a carved image or a graven image. And it's something that is fashioned by human hands. And then people worship this thing as uh, an idol, okay? The, the golden calf idol, okay? Or Baal was a popular Old Testament uh, idol or Moloch as well. But there are a lot of other references to idols as well. Uh, again, as I already mentioned, that those being carved images, graven images, and such. So we can tell who or what someone worships based off of how they spend their time, talent, and treasures. That's going to be the punchline. That's the emphasis of this foundational episode of this series today and the, and the theme of this episode of The Idol in the Mirror. Who or what someone worships will come out and how they spend their time, talent, and treasures. Now, I'm going to look at a, a passage of scripture for you all, and I'm going to read it. It's found in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verses 18 through 23. And just real quickly to give a quick background. Uh, in this section of Israel's history, they got a king after wanting and begging and pleading for a king like the other nations had, they got their wish. Not that God approved of this, not that God was for it, but God granted them their wish. If you want this so bad, you've got it. And so there's a man named Saul that becomes king, the first king of the nation of Israel. 
Saul was a very wicked man. Uh, he did not have a relationship with God as far as we can gather. Uh, he did not have the fear of the Lord, did not respect God, did not have a love for God. And that's going to come out uh, in the passage that I'm going to read for you. So that this gives a little bit of a background on who this passage is about, what his heartbeat was, or kind of what his life was about, and where the nation sat as a result of requesting a king and having him as a leader uh, rule over them. Uh, Israel's left in some uh, pretty left in a pretty bad way here. But at any rate, in First Samuel chapter fifteen, beginning in verse eighteen. The scripture says, and the Lord sent you, and now this is real quickly too, I want to make mention of how Samuel is talking here. Samuel was a righteous man, a godly man, and a man that had uh, just about everybody's respect. He had a tremendous connection with God, a great love for the Lord. And so now he is speaking to Saul and he says, and the Lord sent you on a mission and told you. Go and completely destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, until they are all dead. Why haven't you obeyed the Lord? Why did you rush for the plunder and do what was evil in the Lord's sight? But I did obey the Lord, Saul insisted. I carried out the mission he gave me. I brought back King Agag, but I destroyed everyone else. Then my troops brought in the best of the sheep, goats, cattle, and plunder to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. But Samuel replied, what is more pleasing to the Lord, your burnt offerings and sacrifices or your obedience to his voice? Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice and submission is better than offering the fat of rams. Rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft and stubbornness as bad as worshiping idols. So because you have rejected the command of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. So. We have some really strong language here. Samuel, through the word of the Lord, God had spoken to Samuel to relay a message to Saul. And Saul was to relay this message to uh, his troops and the people at large of Israel, that they were to go into the camp of the Amalekites and basically clean house. They were to destroy everyone and everything. There was to be nothing left. God wanted a clean slate in that territory, which meant no resemblance of evil from this pagan, wicked, carnal people known as the Amalekites, including their leader, Agag. Saul did not obey that command, as we see in the scripture. Saul tried playing it off like he did, but he really didn't. So the idol in the mirror is what we are honing in on here today. And when Saul looked at himself in the mirror, and I don't know how often he may have done that, but when he did, I'm sure he was the object of his own desire. He it was so infatuated, or as we say, and more in our current times in American culture, he was so full of himself that that was the object of his worship. Now we're calling this an idol in the mirror because God created people, so he Saul is taking something that he has created, that being himself, and setting that up as the thing he is worshiping. Now, Saul wouldn't be quick to admit this, but if you look through the entire life of Saul, if you were to look at the autobiography section of his life in the scriptures, he is 
full of himself. He is puffed up, as Paul would say, to the church at Corinth. He was a very prideful man. And he, in his mind, believed that he could do no wrong, or if he did wrong, it wasn't really going to come back to bite him. Because after all, he's king, right? He's untouchable. No, and nobody got to touch him and how sorely mistaken he was or he ended up being. But the idol in the mirror seeks two things. And these are our take-home points for the day. First of all, the idol in the mirror seeks selfish gain. Saul was seeking to take gain. He was looking to take stuff that wasn't his or it wasn't meant for him to have. Remember, God, through Samuel, was speaking or relaying a message, and that was clean house. In the this, this camp of the Amalekites, clean house. Get rid of everyone, including the king, including all of the animals. The best of the animals, the worst of the animals, get rid of everything. That was the instruction. It wasn't for Saul or anyone else to question. This was a message from on high from God Almighty, from the divine Lord. And that is something that no one should ever question, particularly those who should know better. And Saul was under the tutelage of Samuel for a while. He should have known better. And certainly for Christians, people who are born again Christians, there is no excuse. They, We should know better. When we receive an instruction from the Lord, not so much that it's a mandate, but it should be love from our hearts that responds in obedience, not in dutiful obedience, not in a in an obligatory way, but we should respond in love and obeying the Lord. And this is how we know that Saul really was all over the map in regards to how he viewed God, because Saul helped himself. And we see there is a clear rejection of God's word. Because Samuel reminds him, he says to him, the Lord sent you on a mission and told you. So we see this in verses prior, okay, because it says in verse 12 of the same chapter, early the next morning, Samuel went to find Saul. Someone told him Saul went to the town of Carmel to set up a monument to himself. Then he went on to Gilgal. Samuel told him, initially, clean house. So then when we get down to verse 18, where we started our reading from before, he says, "Go." the Lord sent me on a mission and told you, go and completely destroy the sinners, the Amalekites. And Saul didn't do it. He destroyed almost all of them, but he brought back Agak. He brought back the king. Like he didn't just bring back an ordinary citizen. He brought back the king. There's an ulterior motive in bringing back a person with that kind of clout. So not only was there a lack of reverence and godly fear to the mission as regard in regards to destroying the people, but there's also a lot of animals. In verse 21, then my troops brought in the best of the sheep, goats, and cattle and plunder to sacrifice to the Lord. Saul wasn't planning on sacrificing that to the Lord. You got to be kidding he was looking to he was looking to 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 take that house for himself he was looking to take ownership of these this livestock because the thing we got to keep in mind is that livestock back in that day was not only just considered um animals that you had to provide food and whatnot you know milk or what have you 
they were considered currency. Okay. That, that was the dollar or the euro or the yen back in that time. Land and animals. If you had land and animals, if you had quite a good bit of it, you were considered wealthy or rich. There wasn't much along the lines of uh, certainly not much of money or precious metals or things like that. There's a lot of talk, though, about land and animals. So uh, Saul was helping himself here due to a lack of reverence and godly fear. But we also see that he had a heart set on disobedience, okay? Because when Samuel asks him, why haven't you obeyed the Lord? Why did you rush for the plunder and do what was evil in the Lord's sight? That tells me that not even a lot of time went by here. Because Samuel says, why did you rush for the plunder? In other words, this wasn't just, there wasn't a lot of time that went by here. This wasn't uh, a situation where Samuel gave him uh, a commandment through the Lord or by the word of the Lord. And there's a lot of weeks and time going by here. And Saul could have maybe pleaded the fifth, right? He could have said he forgot or he, 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 his memory isn't working too well, or he was got really busy or something like that. He was in a rush to take this for himself. So not only was there lack of reverence, we see that he had a heart set on disobedience, probably as soon as the instructions were given. And then we see that he had a spirit of rationalization and manipulation. This is my, uh, this is where it really gets ugly and nasty. Okay. Because he goes on in verse 20 and he says, but I did obey the Lord. Saul insisted. No, you didn't Saul. What are you talking about? There's the sound of animals all over the place. Samuel asked him, what's this bleeding of sheep that I hear? I carried out the mission, he says. I carried out the mission he, that is the Lord, gave me. I brought back King Agag, but I, but, but I destroyed everyone else. Then my troops brought in the best of the sheep, of the goats and all of this other stuff. So he's blaming his troops, okay? Like, they acted unilaterally without his consent or without his knowing. As much of a control freak as Saul was, there's no way that would have happened, okay? Because if someone would have acted independently from the king's orders, they probably would have been put to death. It's amazing how we see his lack of reverence, his heart set on disobedience, and then a spirit of rationalization or manipulation, thinking he can get one over on old wise Samuel. Okay, well, how does that translate to us? Okay, life here in the West, in this postmodern culture that we live in here, particularly in, in America, we have a serious rejection of God's word. We can look at a, a, a cat like King Saul here and say, oh, yeah, he disobeyed the word of the Lord. He lacked reverence and all of this stuff. Um, our culture has got a serious lack of reverence for God problem. If you don't see it, be the slightest of students of religious history over the last few decades, or certainly over the course of the past century, and you will see not just a moral decline. I'm not talking about a moral decline, although there's certainly evidence of that. But we see the way how the name of Jesus Christ is handled, how it is uh, perceived, how he is perceived, you have seen a 
trend that has headed in a direction that is right in line with what Saul had all the way back at this time, or at least very similar. There is a rejection of God's word. A lot of our culture doesn't respect any part of the Bible, but even a good bit of our culture that does respect the Bible really disregards or is indifferent or downright ignorant to the biblical truth involving Jesus Christ as being God in the flesh, as being born of a virgin, as being the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through him, and as him being the standard for life. And that is a life outside of Christ, that is not in Christ, really is no life at all. Folks that are outside of Christ, they may be existing, like they're breathing and they're able to talk and walk, but they're they're not really living. They're, they're not going anywhere, okay? The, Jesus came to give us life and to have it to the full or to have it more abundantly, as it says in John 10, 10. And so when people reject God's word and more specifically reject Jesus Christ, they are totally in it for themselves. They are seeking out selfish gain. So when they look at themselves in the mirror and they see something, chances are they see something much more there than what is really there. And I'm not talking about necessarily in the form of physical appearance, although it can involve that. I'm talking a lot more along the lines of, well, I ain't that bad. My character's pretty good. I haven't killed anybody. That's one of my favorites. I get that. uh, I've gotten that a lot over the years. Well, I'm not that bad because I haven't killed anybody. Well, since when not is not actually committing the malicious act of taking the life of another person, the standard for being good. Uh, It's amazing how irrational, irrational or unreasonable that thought process is. But at any rate, there is Christ is not the standard for the culture. There is an illiteracy of God's word. There's this emotional prosperity, even within church circles, there's this emotional prosperity gospel that has become very popular. Uh, If you love the Lord, somehow you're going to become rich. Uh, And we don't see that in the scriptures anywhere. In fact, most of Christ's closest followers were dirt poor, but had an amazingly rich life in the Lord. That is, they were rich in joy and in substance and in purpose in their lives. And the rationalization, the rationalizations in our culture today, again, here in the West, is exposed when Christ is not the preeminence. Again, people will look to manipulate truth or soft coat or sugar coat lies in any way they can to give themselves a false sense of security. And that all is on the same road of selfish gain. Because remember, Saul thought he was in good standing with God. Remember, he said he destroyed everyone, just not the king. (laughs) Okay, well, that's not good enough. In fact, that wasn't anywhere near the ballpark, because why would you spare the king? And he didn't kill off, he killed off some of the animals, but not all of them especially the best ones. He was in a rush to take all of that home with him. Selfish game. And I wonder how many of us, even within the church, those who name the name of Christ are after selfish game. How many Christians go to church on a certain Sunday and say, 
minister to me. You know, they, they 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 want something out of the sermon because it's for them, and they they want something out of the service because it's for them, and 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 then they if they are on hard financial times, well, help us out from the benevolent fund or some emergency fund because it's about them, and never is it about others, and even much more importantly, never does it seem to be about Jesus Christ for so many folks. And I'm not talking about for everyone. I'm not saying it's universally true. But when you listen to what's going on in the name of Christ today, or at least what's going on in Christian circles, Christian camps, this is what is happening. There is this chasing after selfish ambition, or what's in it for me, or what can I get out of it? How is this going to make me better? Instead of looking outward, how can I use what I've learned, used what I've heard to minister unto others, benefit the lives of others, and most importantly, minister unto Jesus Christ, who is my reason for living. And without him, I can do nothing. And I am to abide in him as in a vine, as it says in the Gospel of John. So the idol in the mirror seeks out selfish gain. Not only does he seek out selfish gain, he seeks avoidance of pain. And this is also a popular thing uh, in our current culture. The spirit of rationalization and manipulation. Let's get into part two of this little part now. The, the, the spirit of rationalization and manipulation has a purpose to it. Okay. The idol in the mirror thinks judgment will never come. How many folks have I spoken with who they're living in sin? They know they're living in sin. But they don't believe the judgment is coming or they don't believe that there's going to be any sort of discipline coming. Uh, that's probably the better word. Uh, judgment is more for unbelievers. Um, discipline more for believers or those that truly are God's children. Because as it says in Hebrews, he whom the Lord loves, he chastens. Chastens is another word for discipline. Think of a loving parent who disciplines their child. But either way, Someone who just lives in sin, lives in sin, not repenting of it, um, not confessing it, not turning from it, believes that discipline is not coming. Or for the unbeliever, they believe that judgment is never coming. Somehow God's going to grade on some kind of curve or God is going to um, just bestow grace so liberally that he will gloss over the sin and uh, not deal with it as um, a righteous judge or as a loving heavenly father. So we see this in Saul's example here again in 1 Samuel 15. He believed that judgment was not coming because, again, of his lack of reverence, his heart of disobedience, and his spirit of rationalization and manipulation. If he could talk to Samuel this way, he probably had no problem in having a perception of God or if he needed to or ever was asked to do so to communicate to God this way. Because again, Samuel was a deeply respected man for a long time. Okay, he, He's advanced in years by this point. He's been known by probably almost everyone within the nation of Israel. And he has been well respected for years. And for Saul to just up and up lie to him, just not even think anything of it, not even bat an eye at it. Just point blank, look into the eyes of Samuel and say, but I did obey the Lord. Like Samuel was somehow going to buy that. 
Like Samuel was somehow going to give in to that. Like Samuel was somehow going to just be okay with that, that that would be a good enough rebuttal, a good enough explanation. But I did obey the Lord because Saul insisted. He said, I carried out the mission. He, that is the Lord gave me. I brought back King Agag. But I, I, I brought back King Agag, but I destroyed everyone else. In other words, that should be good enough. I destroyed everybody. Just not the king. You know, it's just one person. Happened to be the most important person, probably. But I, you know, I, I just held on to him. That, that's not really that big a deal, is it, Samuel? Or is it Lord? Not, not, not that big of a deal. You know, uh, that would be like, you know, God saying, now, listen, I'm looking uh, for you uh, to give everything away, all of all of your prized possessions. Okay. And there are people in the past that have done this. Uh, the churches at Macedonia were popular for, for doing this. They, they were dirt poor because they were just giving everything away. And it, let's say God instructed this to someone or a group of people. And let's say that someone decided to give everything, but not their most prized possession. Maybe not their antique car. Maybe not their uh, their one bank account that has the most money in it. Maybe not uh, something that is of high value or high sentimental value. Uh, I, I'm just surmising here a little bit. But when God says something, we are to obey completely, not ha half-step disobedience. Not, not, not mostly obey. Not just kind of obey. He's looking for full-fledged obedience. He's looking for us to deny ourselves, take up a cross, and follow him. That's the brand of obedience he's looking for. And Saul shifted the blame. Here's the problem when someone looks to avoid pain, or more specifically, maybe avoid responsibility of for their actions, try and sidestep accountability. They will shift the blame. Because Saul says, my troops brought back the best of the sheep, goats, cattle, and plunder to sacrifice to the Lord. Well, yeah, that's true. They brought it back. But under your command, sir, <laughs> I mean, who are you trying to fool, Saul? I mean, seriously? You mean to tell me that your troops acted on their own accord? They were willing to risk their necks to do this? No. Uh, sorry, we're not picking up what you're throwing down here, Saul. Because you could try and shift the blame all day long. It doesn't matter how you try and shift the blame. You're the, the buck stops with you, O king, because I will expand on this by giving a little bit more background here. If we look at verse nine in this passage, in this chapter of 1 Samuel 15, it says that Saul and his men spared Agag's life and kept the best of the sheep and goats and cattle, the fat calves and the lambs, everything, in fact, that appealed to them. They destroyed only what was worthless or of poor, qual uh, poor quality. So I'm going to read that again. Saul and his men spared Agag's life and kept the best of the sheep, goats, and cattle, and fat calves. So when Saul then comes back and says, my troops brought back, he's looking to throw them under the bus. And he's looking to get away scot-free on the judgment. Never mind that he's the king. Really, it all starts with him and ends with him as the quote-unquote leader. And I use that term quite loosely here in this context. Never mind that he's the king. 
So he is totally responsible for what happened here, but he's looking to avoid the pain. The idol in the mirror will look for selfish gain and they will look for the avoidance of pain. A wicked postmodern culture that we are living in right now, it is so anti-Christ, it's not even funny. First of all, the greater community makes this completely obvious. I mean, they almost really don't make any bones about it. Anybody that has any kind of bold stance for Jesus Christ specifically will get marginalized at best and usually get ostracized, ridiculed, and possibly even persecuted. And this is here in the States. This is the country that, you know, was founded by some leaders, some men who feared the God of the Bible, at least as far as we can gather from records and and books and periodicals that we can get a hold of. That culture has been long gone. And the culture that we are in today, at least at large, the greater community does not respect that Jesus Christ or his name or his deity at all. But even within the Christian community, if you consider what most Christian enterprises are about, whether if they be undertaking a building program or seeking out a new curriculum for some program within the church, whether it be Sunday school, Luana, whatever it is, or uh, whether if there are even considering something as admirable as what missionaries to support, there is so much talk of money getting bigger, advancing as far as getting noticed, their marketability, and getting more people to come to their place of worship. And what is left out of all that, or more so, what who is left out of all of that is Jesus Christ. Now, I know that this is going to be difficult to hear for some folks, but I'm just keeping it real. If you just listen a little bit, observe somewhat, take in to what is being said and what is being done just a tiny bit. There is references made to Jesus Christ, but there is not hardly, hardly, you'd be hard pressed to find a selling out to Jesus Christ, that people truly will abandon their lives, all selfish motives, all self-interest to pursue Christ in his kingdom, that all that matters is him, his direction, his grace, his leading, his word, obeying his word, revering his name, being in deeper, closer, more captivating connection with him, that that's all that matters. And if that is not all that matters, there is an idol somewhere. And may I suggest it chances are it is traced back to the idol that is found when someone looks at themselves in the mirror. There is an idol somewhere and it is appealing to self-interest. They may be a Christian, they may have come to faith in Christ, but there are there's a sense of lukewarmness or there's a sense of immaturity. They are a baby in Christ, however you want to put it, because there is something else that is in competition with Christ, and we cannot serve both God and money. That 
is an issue for the next episode of this series, but we are so worried about how things affect us. We can't go without this, or we can't go without that, or we can't be inconvenienced here. We can't be, we, we can't receive this kind of backlash from over the, in another, from another direction. We can't be uncomfortable in this situation. We are so worried in so many ways on how things affect us instead of pursuing the one and ultimate goal, the simple goal for the believer, and that is to pursue Christ the living Christ. And that is the problem in this postmodern culture, particularly, I mean, it's all over the world. That could not mean wrong. I don't mean to pick on just the culture here in the West, but it's magnified here because we have so much. And it has made us soft. It has made us spoiled. And it has caused us to just be out of touch with the tremendous grace of Christ and caused us to live unto ourselves, for ourselves, because we have already been gifted or been given so much for us. There's a culture that rejects Christ, and there's only there's only one thing left, and that is to live for oneself. And again, within the Christian community, we've got, as I've already mentioned, an elevation of so many things, elevation of pastors, denominations, elevation of hobbies, entertainment, position, Whatever it is, it all leads to an empty brand of life. Christ has come to give us life and for us to have it to the full. And King Saul couldn't understand, he didn't understand that because he was totally disconnected from God. Think about his life. He was the first king. He was one of the most prestigious people to have ever lived. He, he got honored and privileged with holding the position of the first king of, of God's people, the Israelites. And he lived an empty life, and not just sort of empty, not just kind of empty, a majorly empty life. In fact, it was so bad that he had to get David to play the harp for him, that being the only thing that could calm him down when he was greatly distressed. And David was the first anointed king of Israel. For the most most of his life, a righteous man, the Bible describes him as a man after God's own heart. And that is the man that Saul chose to hunt down and wanted dead for a long time, for years. And that left the nation of Israel in such turmoil because there was such division. So it was so bad for Saul that his biggest enemy is who God used to give him just very temporary, very brief points of relief for all of the times of great distress that he was in. It's the only thing that would calm him down. And yet he still wanted David dead. You and I as American citizens, what drives us? Okay, because again, who or what someone worships will come out in how they spend their time, talent, and treasures. How are we spending our time? What are we prioritizing? What or who are we sacrificing for? If we're sacrificing for anyone other than Jesus Christ, and we could sacrifice for someone else, a brother or sister in Christ in particular. And as long as Jesus Christ is motive, and as long as we are being led by his spirit, then yes, we are, our sacrifice is appropriate. It's in line with the kingdom of God. But if we're sacrificing just for the common good of somebody else, or we're just looking to be a good Samaritan or a decent citizen, while those things are admirable and noble, they don't fall in line with, scripturally speaking, how we are to follow the Lord. You and I as American citizens, again, we can tell 
who or what someone worships because it'll come out and how they spend their time, talent, and treasures. How about their talent? Is it for God's kingdom or is it for, as Tony Evans would say, the plague of meism? If we look at our culture today, I mean, it's all over the place. People are in it for themselves. What can they get for themselves? And again, we're going to see this in the ensuing episodes of this series, of this podcast, that I greatly encourage you all to tune into in the coming weeks. But people will chase after that next relationship, a relationship outside of their marriage, or a relationship that's not necessarily outside of marriage, but they're going to have sexual relations before marriage. Or they're going to chase after a promotion or that raise at work. They're going to work overtime till they their blood pressure goes through the roof because they want more money or they want the notoriety. Is the talent used for God's kingdom? In other words, are we using our spiritual gift or gifts for Jesus Christ and his kingdom? Or are we using it for us, for our own selfish ambition, to achieve our own selfish dreams and goals and aspirations? Who or what someone worships will come out and how they spend their time, talent, and treasures. What about your treasure? What about my treasure? If we looked at our bank statement, what does that look like? I mean, obviously, we've got bills to pay and we've got food to get so that we can feed ourselves and clothes to buy so that, uh, you know, we've got clothes to wear. Uh, those are biblical concepts. But what, what does our bank statement look like? Are, are we giving? Are we following the leading of the Lord and how... He wants us to give them to his kingdom, to support somebody in some kingdom venture that they are on, to support the body of Christ, particularly those that are poor, those that have much less. Are we following the model or the example of the early apostles who sold off their possessions and gave unto the poor, and they shared their resources with the, with the poor? Or does our bank statement look like spending Spending and more spending on a bunch of stuff just for us, to tickle our fancy, to entertain us, to try and make ourselves look good, to help us to try and keep up with the neighbors known as the Joneses. What what is what does our financial past look like? What does our financial prospective future look like? What, what are our plans? Are they for the kingdom of God or are they for us? Who or what someone worships will come out and how they spend their time, talent, and treasures. Hope you enjoyed this first episode, The Idol in the Mirror. I greatly encourage you to continue to listen to the rest of the episodes in this series, Killer Gods and Idols.